All right. We're doing the nuts and bolts still. Um, so I'm doing a four-part uh, on evangelism or witnessing uh, that fun thing that we all love and can't wait to leave here and go do because we're so excited about it. Um, so we've talked. Uh, it, it is rad that we got people that go across the ocean for the sake of the gospel. Um, today we're going to talk some more about people who go across the street and over the fence um, to their neighbor's house for the sake of the gospel. That's, that's you guys. Um, the church's primary reason for being on earth is what we talked about last time. That was the first section. Because if we're not convinced, if we're not convinced that the Bible has told us, has declared that our primary purpose on earth is to call out with the gospel of Christ, then uh, it's going to be really hard for us to be urgent about doing that. So the first thing is that we need to be convinced that the reason that we're here um, is to uh, administer gospel to the world around us. Everything else that we're doing, we talked about, that we come together as a church and do is going to be done, done so well, so perfectly throughout eternity. Um, but the gospel going out and seeing people reborn and uh, resurrected to a newness of life through the gospel of Christ is something that will not go on. <laughs> that is something that's going to, there's a window for that, and we all have that window right now. And so that's what we established first. This is the second one in the series. And um, we're going to get a little more practical. Next time we're going to get super practical. Okay, so next time we're going to talk about just a lot of the little nuances and strategies and ins and outs. But today I want to talk about our disposition now that we've established, okay, we're on earth to be gospel carriers. What does that look like? What is our disposition towards the world and towards our neighbors and towards our coworkers and all that stuff look like? Um, And so we're going to talk about that a little bit um, today. What even makes the door the door? Why we're set up the way that we are? Why do we look like we look, right? Why does it feel like it does? Why is it presented with dark, ugly, gross colors? It's funny, we hear the dudes, they come in, and they're like attractive. They're like, we love the dark gray, the black and red logo, and you know, it, it looks very masculine, and all the women are like, can, can I like put some color in here? You know what I mean? Can I hang up like a Precious Moments poster? And it's like, no, no, you may not. Um, so why do we do that? Like, like, is that a mistake or is it something that's intentional? So um, there are most definitely certain things that we are going for at the door. Um, as far as a gospel proclaiming people as well as a church in here, and there are most definitely things that we are not. So you might say that we're a little bit strategic and methodological in some of the reasons we do what we do and don't do what we don't. And I'm speaking, of course, in light of to the outsider, to the outsider. Now, we know that the true church of God right here is made up of believers. And those believers come together, which make up the church, to do specific things when we're gathered, right? And and those things that we do are directed, they're for believers, They're directed to believers. Acts 2.42, we have a list of what those things are. We devote ourselves, like we're doing right now, to the apostles' teaching, to scriptures, right? We devote ourselves to each other. That's fellowship. We devote ourselves to the breaking of bread, right, which we um, call communion, and and to prayer together, uh, corporately, for each other, right? And, and, And then there's the way that we 
do these things. And this becomes the method or the mode. And there's a lot of room that the Bible gives us as far as how we do what we do. This is part of the reason why you could walk into 10 different churches this morning and have 10 different experiences. And it's not all because they're all doing different things or leaving these things out. It's just the mode in which they're doing these things, right? There's a way in which we have some, some room. And so the method or the mode says a lot about the gathered people toward those who we want to see assimilated or converted. We're mindful of people coming in, outsiders coming in. And someone might say, well, wait a minute. You just said that the church is about believers and it's for believers. And that is true. The, the gathered church is centered around things believers do need and benefit from, but it's also a testimony to outsiders who stumble in or better yet are invited in or welcomed in. And many would object and say, well, that's seeker-sensitive. That's attractional. And I would argue that if that alone is seeker-sensitive or attractional, then Jesus was too. Then Paul was, actually. Um, There's good attractional endeavors, and there's bad attractional endeavors. And the only difference is this. What are you attracting somebody to? What are you attracting somebody with? If Christ is always the goal then that's a good attractional mindset, (laughs) okay? Ways to get people from here to him. Again, we have freedom in that. We should strategize. We should employ modes that help us get people from no Jesus to having Jesus. But when, when, when the carrot becomes to get people to come to your church and sit in your seats, and it has nothing to do with getting them to Jesus, then, then the bounce house is the way we do it, or you smoke machines, or like, like we, we, we start doing all kinds of weird things to say my church is better than their church come to mind. And it becomes nothing about Jesus. That's horrible. That's bad attractional or seeker-sensitive um, strategizing. So we, we can be attractional or seeker-sensitive in a way that is good, and not a way that is bad. Some will ask, well, that's all good and all, but is that biblical? I'm glad you asked. The answer is yes. We see in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, if, uh, 12, 13, 14 is all that, that spiritual gift section. We all know it really well. It's super interesting, and everyone likes to have controversy and argue over what we can do and what we can't do and what gifts are still being used and what aren't. But there's this interesting part in, in 1 Corinthians 14 where tongues is the subject, publicly. And so you had the church in Corinth coming together, and one of the things that they were doing or utilizing or practicing more than anything else in their public gathering was speaking in tongues. Now, whether that was an unknown tongue or a known tongue, I think the answer is yes and yes, if you just look at the text there, because Corinth was a crossroads for the world at that time. You had people from all over the known world coming, which means you had a ton of languages. And so if you're having a public gathering with a bunch of foreigners in there, there's got to be ways to be able, so that everybody can understand what's going on. But it also seems like they made their unknown tongue thing, this, this prayer language even, um, an emphasis in that church service. And what Paul does is he finally scolds them at the end. His whole point is you guys need to stop doing this. I would rather you prophesy, which simply means to bring forth the oracles of God in a known way. 
in a way that people can actually understand rather than words that nobody can understand even though it looks weird and it seems cool and mysterious and like something cool is happening, right? And so he, and, and so he says, stop doing this for the sake of the outsider or unbeliever that walks in because they're going to think you are kooks. They're going to think you're out of your mind. If they walk into this gathering and you guys are all just speaking gibberish to each other and no one knows what's going on, what's Paul think? Is he being attractional? Is he being seeker sensitive? No. He's being smart. He's being mindful of what believers do when they come together, when an outsider comes in and experiences it, because all that Paul cares about is that we get people to Jesus. And you don't get people to Jesus through gibberish that nobody understands. And so my whole point is that we do have an example in our Bibles from one of our apostles where part of what we do here, even though it's for the believer, we are in all aspects of it at all times to be mindful of the unbeliever who comes in, who visits, who stops by and experiences, sees what we're doing. What are, these, what are these guys up to? What do they really do every Sunday in there? You know what I mean? And that they may hear life and then gain it. Like, that's the whole point. So we do have an example of this there. I went way too long on that. I'm sorry. Um, the real text for today is actually found a couple chapters back in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Turn with me real quick, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And to give you some context, I am trying to talk fast because I know we got a meeting afterward. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, the context is, is this. Paul is actually talking about his right to be able to be monetarily blessed by the churches because of who he is and what he does with the gospel. So Paul was oftentimes neglected money-wise as far as giving, and he never went around and demanded it. But he is saying, his whole point in the part that we're going to read, his conclusion is whether you pay me to do what I'm doing as an apostle, being a gospel minister, or whether you don't, I am going to be a gospel minister. All I care about, whether I get a paycheck or don't get a paycheck, is that the gospel goes out, and I cannot help but to dispense the gospel. Okay, So that's kind of the, the really brief context. And if you start in verse 19, he says this, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law that I might win those who were under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. What a great text. I mean, it, it sounds pretty clear, like Paul has no confusion about why he's on earth and what's most important. And he's not being picky. Uh, strategy is a war term. It is the art of handling troops and ships to the greatest advantage. And strategy in war is a good thing. It is not a stupid thing. You can just ask Patton or Eisenhower. Or King David. And of course, we can't ask any of those guys. One day we'll ask King David. I don't know about the other two. And, and, and the way that we've set up the door, the way that we look, the way that we love not just each other, but the community that we live in, 
The, the outreaches that we subscribe to, the way that we interact in our gatherings, what they consist of, it's all a part of what you could call strategy. It's tactical in ways, it's calculated in ways, it's purposed in ways. And if you haven't already noticed, our strategy is not to pull Christians from the seats of other churches and transplant them into ours. That's not our strategy. We, we did not come for transfer growth. This is part of the problem, and guys, I understand that God does move his people around the board at different times for different reasons in different places. That's his deal. But our deal here is not to look around at every other church and go, our church is better than yours, and then go after their people so they sit in our chairs instead of theirs. That's not our our point, right? Unless they're in a gospel anemic church, then it's fair game. Then it's like, run, right? Like, get out of there uh, right now. Uh, We do, we do really desire conversion growth. We want to see people come to the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to see people saved and then assimilated into the body of Christ. J.D. Greer said, if we plant a local church without evangelism, we are simply using new marketing to pull bored Christians from other churches. And he's right. This, is, this, is, this has become largely our tactic now in the modern day church. And I hate it. My church is better than yours. My church can beat up your church. My, ha- my church has more things than your church does. You know what I mean? It's all about you and you and you. And they appeal to the consumeristic senses, which we're really good at giving into, right? The strategy that we have determined to employ here is one that is set up to win over the de-churched and the unchurched in this area to Jesus, not the presently bored consumeristic one. We're not here to be big, and I think that we all know that, okay? We're not here to be big, but we're here to make Jesus big to whosoever will. That's the whole reason that we're in this place. In one form or another, our strategy at the door has really been all about making gospel connections with the community outside our door, not only individually but corporately as a church, and we still believe this 12 years later. We planted the door first 12 12 years ago, not in this area, but in the Three Rivers area, and this is what it was all about. How do we cross the street with the gospel? We all know this, right? It's way easier for you and I to put money in the box for a missionary that's going overseas to do that job and make us feel like we're a part of evangelism but it doesn't get us off the hook. You should know who your neighbor is. You should be going over the fence. You should be going to their front porch. You should be going across the street. Like, this is, again, why we're here. I'm going to try to boil this disposition that we have as gospel carriers, as intentional gospel carriers, down to uh, just three basic things from this text in 1 Corinthians 9, adjustability, accessibility, and approachability. I think we see all three of these things here in what Paul is telling us. So AAA, baby, we're going AAA on this. Um, uh, Number one, we must be adjustable. We must be an adjustable people as gospel carriers, and as Christians, both individually and corporately. If we want to be good missionaries or missiologists, we must be able to bend and flex and stretch and adjust. It's not about us. It's about the gospel. 
And when it's about the gospel, we will find ourselves going places and doing things in ways we never would ourselves. We must be spontaneous. We must be expectant. We must be ready in the moment. Not just with the gospel itself, but with our distribution of it. How we actually present it to the person in front of us. Paul says, to the Jew I became a Jew. To those under the law I became as them. To those outside the law I became as one of them. To the weak I have become weak. I have become all to all. Well, what does Paul mean by this? Well, it means that he's ready to be who he needs to be for the sake of the gospel. Does that sound weird or wrong? It's super cool that Paul didn't have one exclusive preferred group of people that he was gunning for with the gospel, right? But rather, anybody and everybody was a gospel candidate to him. So he wasn't just gunning for people that were like him. He wasn't just gunning for Jews. Like he says, even though he was like the Pharisee of Pharisees, like this dude was an expert in all things law, right? And, and, and yet he's willing to stick himself in the position of somebody else. In, in other words, whoever he was around was his target. Think about this. Whoever Paul was around was his gospel target. Now, I do not believe this means that Paul had to continually be fake, right? Or, or, or reinvent himself, or, or put a costume on and try to like trick people into a false sense of connection, but simply that he sought to gain a basic understanding of the worldview of his audience, whoever that may be. This is really what we're talking about here. Understanding of them as real people, right? This would include a basic knowledge of their thinking, a basic knowledge of their knowledge, their background, right? The knowledge of their worldview, those things that would help him to be as effective as possible in leading them to Christ. We have a perfect example of him doing this in Acts chapter 17. You guys all remember the Mars Hill account, right? They had just gone from Berea, Silas, Timothy, Paul. They're traveling from Berea uh, down to Athens. Paul gets there first. He's sitting around waiting for Silas and Timothy to catch up. And while he's waiting, something happened to him. As he's looking around this place and he's observing their culture, something happens to him inside of him. He said he was provoked in his spirit by what he saw. What did he see? He saw um, that they were extremely religious people, but had nothing to do with the real God, the one true God, and the, his son Christ. But they were very religious. They were worshipers. And they had trinkets and idols and altars and all kinds of stuff set up, including um, a statue that sat on the bottom to the unknown God. So they didn't even care if they knew anything about the one they were worshiping. They just had to worship all the time. And by the way, I think you guys understand this. We just did, I think our podcast this week was called Worship. We are all worshipers, if you didn't know that. You don't have to be a believer to worship. All people that exist worship. We are worshipers. Our problem is not that we don't worship. Our problem is that we worship anything and everything. And this is what Paul sees when he walks in to Athens. And so he's provoked. And so he goes to this open mic, like coffee night, where anyone gets to get up and kind of do their five, have their five minutes in the spotlight. Uh, it's, it's called the Areopagus or Mars Hill. That was their version of it. 
And so Paul shows up there, and his tactic is, okay, now that I've observed and gained a, a, a basic understanding of their faith and their religion and their culture and the way that they think, I'm going to actually take this statue to the unknown God, and I'm going to define it for them. I'm going to introduce them to the real God through this unknown statue. He's just being, he's just being a good missiologist. He's just simply observing where these people are coming from and their, what, what their worldview is. And this is really what we're talking about here, right? So Paul's observation of the Athenian culture and his willingness to adjust the dispen- the, how he dispensed the gospel to them because of what he saw, right, maximized his gospel opportunity with those people. That's the point. He was willing to adjust how he might otherwise say it or unpack it or share it. It's pretty good stuff. So in a sense, he identified them where, with them where they were, right? He was perceptive. He found a point of interest or connection with the native thinking and philosophy to introduce them to Jesus. He adapted his gospel approach, not the gospel, his gospel approach, okay? Paul was adjustable to those he found himself in front of so that by all means he might Save some. What does that imply? It, it, it implies that he cared. I mean, simply, guys, we've talked about this before. This is really why you and I are such poor evangelists. is because we just don't have the kind of compassion that we should for these people that we live around and have in this world. Paul did. He walked into that place, he looked around, and he was provoked in his spirit. That was the fuel in the tank to move him to gospel proclamation. He cared. He had a compassion. He had a concern. Not just for certain people. Not just for people that he could relate with or that were like him. But for all people. These people were not at all like him. Right? And and when we have this, guys, when we have this for all people and we're ready with the gospel, it leads to gospel connection, which by the grace of God leads to conversion. Like, we're we're not trying to be like them, but we are trying to understand them where they're at so that we can use their idols and their lies and their worldviews and their philosophies to ambush them for Jesus. That's what Paul did here in Athens. You want to be a good missiologist in the community around you? Like, identify the idols. (laughs) Identify the things that they worship most, that they value most, right? Identify what means the most to them. Seek to gain a basic understanding of the general cultural climate in that place. You don't have to go to seminary for this. Someone said this years ago. If you want to be a good evangelist, you want to understand the people around you, a good missiologist, just open your eyes at a checkout line. You know what I'm saying? Next time you go to the store and you buy groceries and you're sitting there waiting to check out, look at the magazine rack. Look at the images. Look at the stories. Look at the people there. You will know who we are then. Because that's the stuff that people are consuming. That's what they're buying. That's what they're reading. And that's what they're basing their hope and their happiness and everything else on is that garbage that's sitting on that rack right next to you. You want to gain a basic understanding of them? Open your eyes in a checkout line. Go to seminary at the grocery store. You know what I'm saying? It will tell us a lot of what we need to know concerning the people that we will find ourselves witnessing to and where they're coming from. Wherever you go, whatever you're doing, whatever your plans are, do not forget to open your eyes and observe what's going on around you. Gospel opportunities are abundant, guys, every day. They're abundant every single day. Be ready for them. Be effective with them by being adjustable. 
And by the way, I don't have time to go into this, this part of adjusting. But don't let your earthly plans and schedules ruin your gospel opportunities. Get your priorities straight. You know what I'm saying? Like, God can take care of that other stuff. Let's know what matters most first. I don't know how many times I walk through the day, and it's like, I got to do this and this and this and this and this, and then I put the blinders on to make sure that I'm able to accomplish this and this and this and this. And, and there's things always popping up, and there's opportunities always happening, and, and most of the time, and it's because it's convenient. I'll just be honest with you. I'll be like, yeah, no, I, I've already got to make sure I get to this, right? And it's like God's just doing stuff. All this opportunities all the time. Let's be an adjustable people. Be adjustable. Number two, we must be accessible. We must be an accessible people as Jesus followers. This is, no doubt, another aspect and benefit of what Paul is describing here in being all things to all men. He's describing accessibility. This is important for the Christian because especially in today's polarizing, politically-fueled, two-party system, the church has in large part created and developed a vibe that is directly opposed to our purpose and our mission. We have entered a fight that removes us from accessing all people and from all people being able to access us. Some of us have become really good conservatives, but we're really poor Christians. Some of us have become really good Republicans, but we're very poor ministers of reconciliation. We need to figure this out and repent. We have, in large part, canceled sinners, which flies in the face of why Jesus came in the first place. To save sinners. That's why I am here and you are here. Praise God he did not cancel us. You know what I'm saying? Praise God that God did not cancel me and he had every reason to. Years ago, I do not know why he allowed me to walk this earth in the condition and state that I was in for so long, but he did. Not only did he not cancel me, he sent his son for me. He was for me. And he's for you. And the follower of Christ is for other sinners. We need to get this right. This is why we're here. In large part, many Christians today have become moat builders rather than bridge builders. And Paul would say, stop it. Because it kills access. It kills access. From us to them and from them to us. So let's talk access. Intentional engagement would be the obvious, right? But also our ability to communicate, since we're talking about evangelism, would be another. The words that we use, the way that we say it, the attitude that we speak it with. How many of you have ever gone to a foreign country where you don't speak the same language as the people that you were having to interact with? This can be a challenge. It's a little bit uncomfortable, right? And what happens is you start talking louder and slower as though somehow that's going to break the communication barrier. But it doesn't. You're still speaking different languages. You just sound stupider doing it, right? This is what it sounds like when you and I use Christianese language with non-believers. This is kind of how silly it is. Our silly little phrases and sayings that, we know noth- that they know nothing about. Or when we want to sound smart as Christians. You go in to win that argument and show them, those Christians aren't very dumb. I've had my years of doing that with people, right? When we want to sound really smart and intelligent, so we go heady on people. As if we're all a bunch of natural-born Bible scholars. 
And we're not. It doesn't work that way. What Paul did in Athens with his message made his message accessible to the Athenians by speaking to them on their terms in a way that they could understand it. We can and should speak gospel truth using everyday language. This is why we do not, I don't want to make anybody mad, no disrespect. This is why, this is why we don't use King James Bibles in here, people. Like, we don't live in Middle Earth. You know what I'm saying? I'm not from Mordor. You know what I mean? We haven't spoken that kind of English in years. So why would I speak that way to someone who knows nothing about God when I'm trying to tell them about God? Right? Our, our goal is to have people understand the words of life, not baffle them with our intelligence through our unintelligible words. This is what we attempt to do here as pastors even in our preaching. If you haven't noticed, we're very street level when we preach. That's on purpose. All three of us have come from backgrounds and come out of churches and places where we can spar with the best of them with our Hebrew and with our Greek. We have, gone, we have over the years learned a thing or two. And we've been in those churches where it was all about being as proper and reading a tome for breakfast in the morning and then come and unpack it for... Like, we've been there where everything's about this higher learning presentation. And it ain't worth it. There's a point where I came to where I had to repent and realize, like, it's more important that people grab hold of Jesus than grab hold of how rad and smart I am. It doesn't do anybody any good and it doesn't do you any good either to talk that way. Think about who you're talking to when you're talking to somebody. We preach the way we do on purpose. It is clear. It's not dumbed down because you guys aren't dumb. So that's not what I'm trying to say. But it is simply streamlined for the world that we live in and the culture that we live in so that anybody, anybody can walk in here and go ding, 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 ding. I heard that. I get that. I understand that. We're not here to impress anybody with our preaching at all. We never know who's sitting in here at any given time, where they come from, what their previous Bible knowledge is or isn't, so we just simply aim low. Luther said, when I preach, I don't look to the doctors and the magistrates of whom there are about 40 in this church. That's a lot, dang. I have an eye to the, to the many young people, the children, the servants, of whom there are more than 2,000. Dang. Almost, almost as big as the door. I preach to these, addressing myself to their needs. If other people don't want to listen to this approach, they can always walk out. An upright, godly, and true preacher should direct his preaching to the poor, to the simple sort of people. When preachers talk to me, they can show off their learning. They will be put to their trumps. But to sprinkle Hebrew, Greek, and Latin in their public sermons suggests they are merely showing off. Martin Luther. This not only applies in preaching, but it also holds with us sharing the gospel with our neighbors. I mean, I'm quite certain that Jesus could have showed off more than anybody when, he came, when it came to higher knowledge and communication, right? But instead, we, fi we find Jesus a master at putting the cookies on the bottom shelf for everybody. You know what I'm saying? Like, like with simple, accessible analogies and metaphors and parables having to do with fishing and farming and weather and oil and sheep. 
livestock, right? Everyday things, right? That people were doing. He was a master storyteller. And for what? Accessibility. Accessibility. So that anyone, anywhere could grab hold of the point and take it home with them. Once we've shared with someone, we do not want them to walk away impressed with our knowledge and ability to speak. We want them to walk away impressed with Jesus. So we make him as accessible as we possibly can. Not only do we need to be accessible to them, but we also need to be willing to access them. This is the bridge part, okay? Uh, So we actually need to live intentionally as gospel carriers on the offensive, on the offensive, willing to go where they are, willing to show up where they congregate. Again, like Paul and Mars Hill, right? He walks into the middle of this place that is so contrary to him. And he looks around and then goes right into the heart of it. Goes right into the heart of those people and their gatherings to interact with them, right? Even better, Jesus, right? Do we need to say anything more? than John 4, right? Woman at the well went into, crossed a borderline that Jews did not cross into and went to a place to spend some alone time with a woman, which never happened from a Jewish man to a Samaritan woman, and then uh, uh, heard this confession of complete filth and everything else and just gave her life, gave her water, gave her real water, right? Um, Jesus was always doing this. He was always going to places he wasn't supposed to go to interact with people he wasn't supposed to interact with to give them something they didn't deserve. This is what we're talking about here. This is what we're talking about here. How are you doing with this in your life? This is so easy to go to places, to find places, your Samaria, wherever they might, that might be, and spend time there. Um, this is part of the reason I enjoy smoking a cigar. It's because I will go to a place in Bend where they have fire pits and it's crowded every night. And guess what happens around fire pits? We talk, even strangers. So this is kind of calculated and intentional. And I will stand around a fire pit and every single time I've been going there for years, a significant conversation and a witnessing opportunity will happen. I, I go, I, that's my Samaritan well. Some of you bowl. Some of you go to car shows. Some of you go to garage sales. Some of you like to camp. There's a lot of people that hang out and camp around you in those places. We just went to one last week. There's so many opportunities. Every single Christian should have a Samaritan well. Go to where they are. Then it's, that's like 75% of the battle in witnessing. <laughs> like, like you will have an interaction in a conversation if you go to where they are. We've become really good at being separatists as Christians. Oh, nope, got a distance from them. Don't want any of those cooties to get on me. You know what I mean? When it's the whole reason we're here. Go get the cooties on you. Go, go to where they are. Okay? And you will have gospel opportunities. Be accessible. Finally, number three, we must be approachable. We must be approachable. Act like human beings. Act like human beings. Why do Christians think they have to be weird in order to be his? I do not get this. Me and my wife talk about this all the time. Like, Christians are the weirdest, stinking people I've ever met. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't know why we think we must be. 
but we, but we do somehow. Be real, not weird. Okay? Be concerned, not strange. Be engaged, not removed. We are aliens in this world in that this world is not our home, but it doesn't mean we have to look like one. Okay? We don't, we don't, we don't need to be green with long arms and big eyes flying around in spaceships. We could just be humans. Okay? It's okay to have personality. It's okay to have character. It's okay for us to have interests. It's okay for us to be good at something. It's okay for us to enjoy things that other people enjoy. It's okay for us to identify as human beings who live among other human beings. Right? Ever heard the phrase, you can be so heavenly minded that you're of no earthly good? Nope. Okay. <laughs> uh, it's a flawed statement, um, and yet it's also a true one. Um, like, we must remember that while we're not of this world, we are, the other half of it, still in it. Like, we are, we are still in it. And for what? To engage with others who are also in this world. That's for what, right? And, and, and so, you know what? It's, it's weird. Pastors are oftentimes the worst at this. We should be the first ones on the beach with this stuff. You know what I mean? And it's amazing to me how sometimes we're, we're the worst at this thing. There seems to be like this unspoken dress code for pastors um, that goes like this. Boring. You know what I mean? Like, be boring. You know? Like, like wh- why do we have to dress like we, like we work on the 47th floor of a high-rise on Wall Street? You know what I mean? Like, where did that come from? Who told, who told us we had to do that? Like, some, sometimes it's even a stupid thing, like the way that we dress that says to somebody, you're not like me and I'm not like you. I know that sounds dumb, but it is true. Even small things. We can look so professional, we can look so put together and proper that it is sure to shut down an interaction long before it could ever get started. It's hard to be a good missionary when you're decked out like that. Most pastors are dressed for the pulpit, not the street, not the neighborhood. Many of us are dressed for professionalism, not warfare. And we are in a war. Don't be weird, be approachable. Half the evangelistic conversations I get into are a direct result of something as stupid as the shirt I'm wearing. Not this one. Most times, I have a ton of band shirts. I love wearing band shirts. I, lo- I just love the bands that I like. I like the music that I like. And I will buy the shirt and I will wear it into public. And half of the conversations that I ever have with people out in public has to do with something that insignificant and stupid of a band that they also like. And then we have a conversation that happens, and then at some point, boom, we're off and running to bigger and better things. Like, it's just, stuff like that works. It, it, it actually works. I have had more gospel opportunities, more gospel conversations, more people willing to talk to me because I wear vans and have tattoos and listen to the Ramones, you know? And I'm not saying, go get a tattoo, that that's a good strategy. I don't think it is. I'm just saying If you're wearing Christian apparel or smothering your car with Christian bumper stickers or decorating your house with Christian yard signs that tell the world that hell is hot and they're all going to go there, you have a good chance of it having an adverse effect on you. It just might tell them all they need to know to make sure that they avoid you. Oh, and, and by the way, don't use spray paint for Jesus. 
I don't know if you guys heard about this. Me and my wife were eating at El Caparel up in the mall in, in Sun River like a month ago. And we walk out and the, the pavilion where they ice skate, like it's a nice structure. Someone had taken fluorescent blue spray paint and put Jesus loves you all across the side of it. Bad testimony. Bad evangelistic strategy. Okay? I don't know who this guy is, but uh, yeah, don't do it. That, that's not how we witness that way. I, I can't believe you guys didn't hear about that. And the dude ended up, I think he ended up going around and doing it like quite a few other places. I think he thought he was really doing a good thing for Jesus. Uh, I think he finally got arrested, like he finally got busted, or his can of spray paint finally went dry, and I don't know what happened. Uh, don't do that. Like, it's just a bad idea, all right? Think about ways that you can maximize opportunity rather than lessen it. We're about done. Some people ask why we don't have church in the name of our church, right? Or scripture addresses on our shirts, right? Like John 10, 9. Like, why don't you have that laid out? It is not that we are ashamed or embarrassed to identify as a Christian or a church that our apparel is subtle or our graphic is subtle. It's that we actually want the opportunity to proclaim Christ to them that our apparel is subtle. Let me explain. I've worn door shirts into public many times, whether it be restaurants, whether it be grocery stores, like whatever we're doing, door shirts. I don't know how many times a person next to me or behind me has said, what's the door? What's the door? If it said church underneath it, guess what? Guess how many people would ever say that to me? That many. That many. I've had people go like, is the door a nightclub? Is it a bar? It's like, no, it's a person. Like, let me tell you about him. You know what I mean? Off and running. Why? Because the word church ain't there. Or because there's not a verse spelled out underneath with an address. Right? Like, like the, even things like this, guys, are intentional on our part. To help us walking these things that God wants us to walk in, in a way that's natural and effective. Right? We're not trying to be manipulative. We're just trying, we're just trying to maximize our opportunities. And I'm not an expert at evangelism, so I need as much help as I can get. Like little stupid things like that work. Like not having church in the name, on the sign. I'm not saying that we should all go out and try to be as cool as we possibly can. That is not what Christ has called us to. I am saying, be you. Be who God has made you. Don't try to be something that you are not. People can detect that bullcrap. Don't be a poser for God and don't be like the Pharisees. This is what the Pharisees did. Well, we're super religious people, so we're going to make sure that everybody sees it. We're going to wear it on our sleeve. And all it ever did was told everybody else, the commoner, they're not like me and I'm not like them. And Jesus said, you got dead bones on you. Like, you look pretty rad. That's a nice paint job. But, like, there's a corpse inside of that. Right? We don't need to try to dress ourselves up that way. Just be who you are with the righteousness of Christ filling you, in you. All right? Um, when we take, uh, we're there. We're at the end. Promise. When we take down even basic barriers, of Christian virtue signaling, 
by and through our appearance and our presentation, it's amazing the opportunities that it will afford us. Be approachable, not polarizing. Jesus teaches this best on how he chose to come. I talked about this a few weeks ago. It has to be mentioned again. It's such a big deal that we know this. Isaiah 53. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. No beauty that we should desire him. Right? This is God. This is the one who created all things that exist. And this is how he chose to step into that creation. Was that as a complete commoner. In every way. What does that mean? He could, he could have come as an absolute standout. As a professional, proper, dressed to the nines, clearly in a league of his own and letting everybody around him know it. Clean and perfect in appearance, but he did not. He blew minds because he appeared to be your everyday guy, just like everybody else, though he was altogether otherworldly. Everyone around him just scratched their heads in mystery and curiosity because he didn't lead with the religious leader look of the Pharisees. He blew minds everywhere he went because he looked so average. And yet all that came out of his mouth was so extraordinary. This is a big deal. He baffled their perceptions of what someone like him was supposed to look like. Why? To win the commoner to win the commoner, to win the underdog, to win the nobody, to win the human. He came as an ordinary one. When it comes to being approachable, know that you are not going to get points with God for looking weird or being weird or trying to go out of your way to appear spiritual or by filling the back of your car with as many Christian bumper stickers as you possibly can or by speaking Christianese to people or even by praying really obviously and loud in a restaurant. Okay, Be real, not weird. And that will make you approachable. Be who God has made you. And so it is helpful for us in our God-given mission on earth to have a disposition of approaching our mission field every day by being adjustable, accessible, approachable. Just like Paul. And I think Paul did pretty good. I think he had a pretty profound effect as far as a mission field and a ministry with the gospel. I'll listen to him. I think what he's saying is probably right. Why do we do it? So that all, by all means, we might win some. That's why. At the end of the day, remember this. The only reason you and I are here and have what we have is because Jesus made himself adjustable, approachable, acceptable. Right? This is why we're here. He was God. And he was willing to make an adjustment. And it wasn't slight. Right? So that he could become accessible to sinners. And approached by sinners. And this is the game changer. Right? And it holds today. Lord God, thank you for uh, your word. Um, Help us uh, to have a a right disposition every day. of how we approach the world around us, how we approach our neighbors, how we approach fellow employees, um, people in the stores, anybody all the time. Make us adjustable. Make us conscious and aware at all moments that you are doing something and that there's an opportunity and then, and then help us to know that that 
is of utmost priority, regardless of what else our day has been planned with. I pray that we would be sensitive to your spirit more than we normally are. And I pray that then we would, we would be more brave than we normally are, knowing that you are sovereign over these interactions and that you are for us. Therefore, who can be against us? And so uh, just help us to believe our Bibles. Help us to believe our Bibles, Lord, more. Help us to look at your son more. Help us to absorb more of him more. And we ask it in your name. Amen.